0: Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us, (laughs) well done you. Our little podcast, all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to Fascinating Conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to
1: episode number six of Behind the Brands podcast. And in this show, I'm delighted to say that I managed to track down and have a really good conversation with an old customer of mine, a lady called Moira Race. And Moira's a wonderful lady, a superb buyer, and she's got lots and lots of experience. So I hope you enjoy this one. I really, really do. And if you're a brand that wants to deal with the big boys and girls at retail, I think this could be a really good episode for you. Or maybe you want to get into a new career path and go down the route of becoming a professional buyer? And if so, then this is a good listen. So hope you enjoyed the show. Let's jump straight in and enjoy my chat with Moira Race. Hi Moira, how are you? Hi, Warren. I'm fine, thank you. Good, good, good. Excellent. Well, welcome to Behind the Brands Podcast. Um, I wanted to get you on, Moira, because we've known each other for quite some time, and I know you're up to lots of great stuff, and you've done lots of great stuff in your career. So um, yeah, I think it would be a great opportunity to get your message across to our listeners to talk to them today about how to be a buyer. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's good about your industry, and maybe what's not so good about being uh, somebody in your position. Can you just give us a quick overview of what you're up to at the moment? Moira? Yeah, sure, no problem.
2: Um, at the minute, I'm actually running my own business,
1: which is Moira
2: Base Strategic Buying Consulting Services. It basically, covers all things buying. So. For buyers, it's a resource to help them buy better with a bit of mentoring. And for brands, it actually is to help them understand the buyer's mindset. Uh, There's a lot of stuff these days about selling, but there's very little that tells the salesman what the buyer is thinking on the other side of the table. So it's been quite interesting. Yeah.
1: Cool. Brilliant. That's lovely. I mean, we caught up a few months ago. I don't know if you remember, but I spotted you at a trade show. I was kind of walking those carpeted aisles, as we say. Mm And um, I heard this voice across the hall (laughs) and I thought, I bloody recognise that woman. And um, yeah, it was you. So um, you were you were actually there with um, a young lady. What were you doing with her? You were were just buying or what what were you Well, basically what I was doing
2: with her um, was I'd been asked by the company that she works for to train her into what to look for at a trade show, how to um, how to engage with the suppliers that were on the stands. Um, And to weed out what she actually was looking for. So it was really a mentoring session. Um, And yeah, I mean, obviously, being Spring Fair, it was pretty big and there was a lot to get through, but we had good fun.
1: Yeah, it is. uh, It is a bit daunting, especially if you're new to um, new to that capacity of going out there and looking for product. Yes um that's great and we can cover a little bit more about that and in, in depth obviously as we go through the the kind of call but um I want to take you back I want to take you right back Moira <laughs> to um to when you were a little girl I want to try and get a bit of an only insight yesterday. to you as a only yesterday or maybe the, the week before so yeah so I just want to try and get a little bit more of an idea of, of you and your aspirations whether or not you wanted to get into the into the fashion industry or the branded issue industry. Um, I think it's really important. So, what what was growing up for you like? What, how did you? Well,
2: have... obviously, as you can tell from the accent, I was born and raised in Northern Ireland. Um, I was a farmer's daughter and had a very supportive cool. family. I'm very happy childhood, really. Um, one of the things of being um, a farmer's daughter was I was introduced to the young farmers, both good and bad, at an early stage, <laughs> and um, there we did a lot of public speaking and group debating. My father was always very keen that we would, uh, that myself and my brothers would would know how to stand up and speak out, and it stayed with me ever since. So, as you know, I am not shy in retiring, and uh, (laughs) I've never found a problem in speaking. But one of the other things was, I mean, my mother uh, was and still is, and she's ninety now, was always dressed immaculately, um, always coordinated from her accessories to her lipstick, and you know that's some role model really. So I guess that yeah. introduced me to fashion and accessories at, you know, relatively early age.
1: Yeah. So right back at the day, I mean, you obviously had influences from your mum, mm-hmm. but did, did you know what you wanted to do with your career? Did you know what, what kind of thing you wanted to get I into? I actually wanted
2: to be a teacher.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Um, yeah. But yeah, and also being in Northern Ireland, I came to England University, um, not to do teaching I to at Houston, Um but right. then I... My degree course actually taught me how the consumer does everything. So there was a very clear career path at the end of that for me in terms of understanding customers.
1: Yeah, brilliant. So, I mean, we've known each other for Wow. God, must be 60 70 years Mara, <laughs> or something similar so I'm joking um, Speaking yeah, yourself. So um yeah absolutely absolutely but i mean i think you know i've known you for for, for quite some time in, in the capacity as a buyer but what other things have you done in the industry have you have you had any other kind of roles
2: um yes i mean you're right most of my time uh, most of my career has been in buying i did actually have a short foray into an operational role where i worked for o'neill the wetsuit company Oh, yeah, cool. um, yeah. and uh, did retail operations for them for four years um, and within right. that as well I was involved in new product development which was really interesting uh, from designer through to manufacturer
1: yeah I mean it's mostly in travel retail though isn't it that's that's kind of where you you've kind of excelled in, in your yeah, career today
2: it yeah it's predominantly been um, in travel retail
1: Yeah. What kind of things have you bought in that in that kind of environment? Again,
2: it's mostly uh, focused around fashion and accessories, uh, luxury goods and um, heavily branded. I mean, that's the one thing with travel retail. The majority of of, uh, the business is branded. Um, So it's basically anything within fashion and accessories, watches, jewellery, sunglasses
1: yeah okay and again this is for the benefit really of the listeners but you know when you go on holiday and you're meandering around trying to wait for your flight and you, you get tempted by all that retail opportunity that's what moira buys <laughs> so and her and her team so yeah it's um it is a captive audience do you think that's a good thing with regards to having those people in the airport at that one time absolutely
2: i mean it's the different mindset of a buyer where sorry as a customer um, when they're traveling through the airport some of them may only go on one holiday a year and as soon as they hit the airport the money is burning a hole in their pocket thankfully yeah um, cool, and, and it, yeah that's it, it's a very it's a business that's less impacted by local economy so you know yeah. you've you so many international travelers um so yes it's a great business very buoyant,
1: cool Brilliant. Lovely stuff. So, again, what I'm trying to get out of today's call is to give everybody a little bit more of an insight to the way that you operate and the mindset behind being a buyer, mm-hmm. a professional buyer. So what would you say makes a really good buyer?
2: Um, passion and creativity. Um, i I really strong believer that a good buyer has to be passionate about what they do. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to like the product, but you have to be passionate about the buy um you also have to be a calculated risk assessor so there has Mm -hmm. to be an element of risk otherwise your offering is is dull and boring um and customer focused because of course at the end of the day it's that's how you make the money is the customer has to buy the product that you buy um so you know those are the key things really but yeah passion and creativity i think is way up there as really important attributes to acquire yeah
1: yeah, I mean, I've met lots of different types of buyers, as I've said to you previously, you know, some uh, some great and
2: maybe some <laughs> not so great, you know, from a
1: personal point of view. And it's difficult for me, because obviously, I, I'm originally from a sales background. So I've been banging on your doors, shall we say, to try and, you know, sell products and sell brands and sell concepts into retail environments. Yeah. So it's really important. Well, it's really interesting, should I say, to get your perspective on things. So look I want to try and look a little bit deeper on your side of the fence really more and, and, and would you classify buyers are the different types of buyers is that is that something well, that you, you kind of established it's funny you
2: say that because I've been a part of my work over the last couple of years I've set up um, a buyer's mindset workshop and okay. as part of that I actually educate people into the different types of buyers I've seen and witnessed them and I actually would say there are six types of buyers and each of those has a different personality and a trait um, and I like to get people, to, uh, salespeople, to understand how best way to deal with them and, and how to get the best results from each.
1: Okay, so six types of buyers. Can can you run us through those? Is that I right? shall
2: tell you the names. You're, and... not, you're not giving any secrets away <laughs> <now> anymore, <laughs> Absolutely right? Absolutely not. But
1: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> these names are purely created by myself. Um, okay. <laughs> so prepare yourself to being. All
1: right, I'm okay. braced.
2: Um Sally Spreadsheet. Um, right. Lisa, okay. Derek.
1: Uh, flaky
2: Freddy. Uh Go- okay. gordon groupie progressive crew and amiable amy
1: okay now that is one heck of a party you
2: got going on there so, um,
1: and uh, any of them responsible as a decision maker or such or they're just there for comedy effects no <laughs> it's good it's really good really good so what um Can you just give us a little snippet? Again, I don't want you to go into too much detail about what you do and the way that you're kind of, you're operating, but it is interesting to hear, hear you talk about um, those different attributes, those character traits, shall we say, of of the buyers.
2: Yeah, well, I'll I'll give you an example. If we take, say, Sally's spreadsheet, um, what I I would do on that would be run through what kind of traits you'd expect from someone like Sally's spreadsheet, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's someone, you know, who um, is aware that they need some newness, but they're going to follow the process. Um, they, have, they need facts and figures and budgets are important. They'll want a business case before progressing and that kind of thing. So those are the kind of traits you'd expect from Sally's spreadsheet. I then run on to the issues of dealing with someone like Sally um, mm. and advise that, you know, you can, it will delay the process and you should expect this to happen. You should um, be very well prepared for your meeting um, because she's going to want the figures. um, Yeah. And she's unlikely to believe them without doing her own analysis. So, again, there's a time issue there. Um, Mm. And meetings will be detailed and involved. Um, Right. And then following that, it's, well, okay. so you've taught me that all about Sally's spreadsheet. Well, how am I going to deal with this buyer? Um, Yeah. And my answer to that would be ensure you've done the detailed preparation. Um, Bear in mind that she's probably not going to be the final decision maker. And a lot of salespeople forget this. Um, Mm. So basically, you want to offer assistance to make her life easier when she has to get approval from her seniors. Um, And I'd say be armed with solutions to any problems um, and don't push too hard.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, that is really interesting. And and I think for the benefit of the listeners, it is important to understand the decision process, yeah. because invariably the buyer isn't the person that signs off the, the PO, the purchase orders, you know, um, and there is a hierarchy in, in most organizations. Absolutely. Um, it does sound you know, listening to you talking like that, and it, it's very methodic and it's very clear and very organized. I wouldn't expect anything less <laughs> from you, Moira, to be perfectly truthful <laughs> with you. But I think for, maybe for a brand that can be a little bit daunting, mm. you know, the, the fact of, oh, my gosh, you know, I've, I'm passionate of what I've got and I, I love what I do and it's great product and you are the best retailer. But what would a buyer, what would a buyer really look for when a new brand comes in front of them and, and obviously tries to promote what they do?
2: Well, to be honest, it depends what you mean by new. Um, if it's a completely new brand to the market, then that's obviously the hardest selling because you've got nothing uh, to go on. Um, And I'd need to be seriously convinced that it was a brand I needed and why I need it. Um, What, you know, what's the USP? What's the standout qualities? uh, Why would that stand out from anything else that I'm looking at? Um, And that would be before even any terms and conditions.
1: Yeah. Okay. And and what about from a brand's perspective? What would be, I know it's difficult because every, every company is different, but what would be a buyer's response to somebody continually banging the door you know continually sending emails continually phoning com- continually sitting in their car outside the buyer's house you know what whatever, whatever it takes moira you know that but no joking apart what is it that kind of encourages a buyer to um kind of engage or completely switches them off
2: well that would definitely switch me off i can tell you that now. right <laughs> and we have had them trust me we do get them
1: okay um, yeah.
2: and i think to be honest it's a bit of common sense i think in terms of uh, supplier presentations, that it's very important to engage the buyer um, right from an early stage. There's so many presentations that are full of marketing and fluff that you're not engaging the buyer. So it's it's always worth getting what your USP is um, or your UBP, which is your unique buying point, um, is the other way to look at it um, and and engage with them, I think.
1: And what what would you say is kind of some of the common mistakes that people make?
2: Um, I think it's uh, one of the biggest mistakes is once you get a listing is you think the job is done. Um, These things are all, all deals evolve, all businesses evolve. So once you've got the first sales through, uh, good or bad, you have to be prepared to take action to improve it. Um, Mm. And I I think that's a a lot of cases that, you know, the the supplier thinks they've done a good job because they've got the listing. Um, but they need to keep on, you know, plugging and saying, okay, well, how can I make it bigger or better? Or what can we do that's different? And what, what's my exit strategy? Because that's a buyer. Yeah. the exit strategy these days is even more important than it used to be, because you only have to look at retail and see how much stocks sitting in the business. And stock yeah. is, is the one thing that will um, kill your business.
1: Yeah. And what kind of influence would you have as a professional buyer in different departments? What I mean by that is obviously you're responsible for engaging with the brand and making the selection and creating the order and pulling all that together. Where where do the responsibilities stop there? Do you get involved in other areas like marketing oh, yes. or promotion? Yes. I mean, what's? Could you just give us kind of scope that out for us, just so we've got a bit more of an understanding of what what else it entails? I mean, to be
2: honest, the buyer's role covers everything, right? From as you say, from the sourcing the product to getting it on the shop floor. Um, but more importantly, the buyer has to know what the customer wants. Um, so there is an element of uh, seeing the whole process from start to finish. Um, marketing of the product, the way it's displayed in store, the merchandising plan, um, and as I said, the exit strategy. So it, it's like a life cycle of a product, and the buyer has to be there from the beginning through to the end.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. That's cool. That's cool. And um, what about, uh, what about? would you say there's a little bit of luck involved in being a buyer, Moira? <laughs> do you think? Timing luck. or luck? Uh, How would you describe that? There's a difference that. between timing and luck. I'd say there's definitely <laughs> no luck involved, Warren. OK, <laughs>
2: that would be a very dodgy <laughs> strategy, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you must have you must have been in situations whereby you kind of you can't believe your luck. You know, things may have ha- may have. Ha- I'm sure you've got you've got some examples of you think, wow, I just did not anticipate this. one. Well,
2: I mean I could probably turn that on its head a little bit. And actually, I've had a product where I've seen immediately the potential of it and the supplier hasn't um and that that's always an interesting meeting when you see something and you think this is right for my business this is right for my customer and i can sell volume um and we did that very successfully a couple of years ago um with a watch brand and the supplier really didn't appreciate just how much volume and travel retail you can move um right Right. at the right price um Mm. and what we had to do with that because that creates its own problem if something's very successful so you've got uh, to limit the distribution because the demand will outstrip the supply. Okay. You know, so there's different angles to think of. That's why, you know, going back to your early question, uh, what are the biggest mistakes? If something sells out too quickly, it's equally as bad as having too much stock.
1: Oh, uh, ah, okay. You know, That's interesting. Yeah. You know,
2: once it's gone, if you have to wait three months for a delivery to come from the Far East, then you've lost three months trade.
1: And do you think that could make a difference to a delisting of the brand?
2: Um, I think if if a brand has potential, you probably wouldn't delist it, but it could make it a very rocky road. Um, And if something's brought in in the interim that does equally well, then yes, certainly you would be um, in, in jeopardy.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously you're, um, your background covers purchasing for lots of different territories, lots of different countries. So what kind of things work in internationally? What things work in different countries? Are there any categories that work particularly well in different countries?
2: Uh, it, well, it's difficult, really. I mean, in travel retail, the formula tends to be pretty similar globally. Um, you know, and we were a global company, um, the last company I worked for. And you can find p- different brands work better in different countries, if that makes sense. Um, Mm. uh, categories that work particularly well in the UK such as sunglasses um, don't work quite so well in other countries which has always been amusing because the weather here you'd wonder why sunglasses were so such a good business absolutely yeah but uh, but yes the global aspect I think the, the biggest thing from a global business is that suppliers often don't appreciate how complicated it is to retail globally you know, everybody wants to be a global brand, but that comes with a whole different set of T's and Cs
1: that yeah. most people
2: don't even consider.
1: And, and just on travel retail, it's important to kind of touch that. Obviously, we've we've kind of gone through some quite challenging times on the high street, let alone at travel retail. How do you think the environment is going to look moving forward?
2: Oh, if only I had a crystal ball. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously the current times we're in, it's, it's very, very tough. Um, and travel retail has probably been impacted more than the high street, and that 's saying something. I think customers um will be more savvy I think they 'll be more aware of the internet and what they can buy things at um the competitive edge of the internet um, mm. but I think because exactly as you first said, the customer has the mindset of buying when they 're in an airport, so I think we will still bring that back. And I think they will still treat themselves in an airport once they feel comfortable with the current environment.
1: Yeah. And what about omni-channel retailing? Is that something that the kind of travel industry has embraced? So you would place your order off-site and then obviously when you go to through your duty free, you'd pick your product up. Is that something that more, more retailers in situ are are putting into play?
2: Um, It is something which they're working on. They have been working on for years. And I think there'd be a lot more click and collect So you will still have to pick it up at the airport, but you can pre-order it online. So I think click and collect will grow.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. That's good. That's really good. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about your career as a whole, Moira, and what kind of career highlights have you had? Well, one of them
2: that jumps to mind was one that uh, you should resonate with, because I don't know if you can cast your mind back to the late 90s, um, where we had the great pleasure to work on a project together called the tsunami project
0: yes absolutely
1: yeah good uh, times um, very good times
2: tsunami was ahead of its time i'd say it was the first yeah. uh surf shop in an airport it was all about customer experience so the shop had lots of dynamics going on in there in the environment it wasn't just plain retailing it was um You know, exciting retailing. Mm. Um, And it was a mixture of clothing, accessories, watches, and jewelry. So um, it was a great shop. I think it's a pity more airports didn't give space to new concepts like that. Yeah. um, Because I think that's what the customer's going to want.
1: Yeah. And at that time, you know, those surf brands, they were really on trend, weren't they? You (laughs) know, they were, everybody wanted that kind of lifestyle look. Yeah. um, So what could just remind us what kind of brands were you working with at the time? Well, there was a little brand
2: called Chili Pepper, I seem to remember. Yes, I remember
1: <laughs> that one. Yeah.
2: But, but aside from that, we, we did um, O'Neill, we did Quicksilver, we did um, Reef Sandals. Yeah. Yeah, a whole range of things. And there were some more off-the-wall brands as well.
1: Yeah. And how many, how many of those were there, Moira? Just remind me.
2: I'd say there were over uh, 30 brands in the store.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. And how many locations? Oh, there were only two okay okay i couldn't remember how many yeah. of the words just in the uk right yeah 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 okay and throughout your career who's kind of inspired you either professionally or from a just just an inspirational perspective
2: <laughs> well i think i can honestly say that some of the bosses i've had in travel retail some of the, the heads of buying have been very um inspirational um you know it it was a tough learning curve i learned the hard way yeah. um but if you park that aside Someone who I completely uh, think is fantastic is Mary Portis. Um, I
1: think the direct approach
2: and the emotion she has is just is great. And then I'm going to throw a real curveball at you. And someone who I completely have admiration for is Harry Selvidge and that's not just cuz he was the television show but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if you look at what he did in his day yeah. it was it was phenomenal you know the the whole start of the beauty counters the whole different ways of retailing that kind of risk doesn't get taken anymore everything's so safe
1: yeah yeah i mean you're absolutely bang on with that one moira you know they are a uh they're a truly inspirational retailer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I was really fortunate a couple of years ago to go to a, a world global department store summit. Mm. Um, sounds very posh. And it was, it was lovely. And there was there was people there from, you know, Galerie Lafayette and El Corte Inglés <laughs> and a load of American retailers. And Selfridges actually won best department store in the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was pretty easy to see why, you know, yeah. their vision, the way they execute things. Um, they've just got it so right on so many different levels. They really, really have. You can um, go in
2: there and you still go in there and be amused by what you see.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the theatre, isn't it? I Mm -hmm. think they do very, very well. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously from a brand's perspective, you know, it's kind of where you want to be. To the majority of cases, not everyone wants to be in in Selfridges, but um, it's certainly a, a great door opener. Yeah, And I think that's quite an important point, actually, the fact that you know using great retailers to promote what you do and the way that you do it yeah. is 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 always the best calling card because Absolutely. the industry is quite closed isn't it did you did you ever feel that you would be keeping your eyes on other retailers and if so who were they
2: um well again in travel retail there's a limited number of retailers and that's changed mm. the the it's changed a lot over the the time i've been in the business and there there are a few big companies that control most of it But I think it's really important that buyers are aware of their market. So just because I was in travel retail, I didn't just look at those as competitors. I would have looked on the high street. Um, And and any good buyer should be taking time to competition shop because you've got to know what's out there. Yeah. You have to to see
1: what's happening. Yeah, that's cool. Brilliant. All right. Well, it's been fascinating, Moira. I mean, that's been uh, a real insight to what you do and the way that you operate. Yeah, I mean, well. you've got so much experience, so much, and you've you've worked with some amazing brands. Um, and, and and obviously you are very successful in what you do. And I think, it's, I think it's great for our listeners to be able to see it from a buyer's perspective. It's mm. a difficult thing to sell a brand and to promote it and to create it. And then obviously to put it out into the marketplace. And, and a little bit of an insight is, is always really useful. How can our listeners contact you, Moira? What's the best way to keep in touch?
2: Uh, visit my website, which is www.moirarace.com. or email me direct at
1: moira at moira com. cool all right that's brilliant and and that's is that kind of open for everybody absolutely
2: open for everybody if anybody wants more about the buyer's persona i will welcomely share
1: oh it's amazing that's brilliant perfect all right moira i know you're a busy lady and i don't want to keep you any further so um, so. thanks very much for coming on the podcast um yeah it's been a a delight as always and um, we must 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 catch up for that Glass of wine or gin and tonic, or maybe a bottle of champagne. Who knows? A I bottle know of champagne your, is
2: definitely on the cards. I
1: know what your tastes are like. Thank <laughs> you for that. So uh, all's good. All right. Well, have a great day. Yes. Um, let's let's talk soon. Take care. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Moira. It was a delight to speak to you again. It's always a pleasure. And thanks very much for giving us those buyer personas. I'm just going to run through those again for the benefit of the listeners. So we had Sally Spreadsheet. We had Decisive Derek. There was Flaky Freddie, Gordon Groupie and Progressive Prue. And let's not forget Aimable Amy. In fact, I'm sure I went to a Christmas party with an amable Amy, but that's a whole new podcast episode. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. Uh, next time, guys, I want to talk to you about a great brand. And the brand was voted by Drapers. Um, for anyone not in the UK, Drapers is a UK publication. It's been going for a long, long time, both in physical content and also online. These guys were voted as a change maker in the sustainability Fashion Awards. The brand actually won the category of ones to watch in 2020. And the brand I'll talk into next time is called Aqua and Rock. I talked to the founder, a lady called Dia Baker, about her journey in building a really huge potential with this one, guys. It's a great lifestyle brand, and the fascinating thing is they've only been trading for 18 months, would you believe? So Stick around for that one. I'll speak to you soon and enjoy your week.
0: Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with BeforeStores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So, until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.